This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today we invited Charlotte Claiborne, the executive director of the Bridge Center for Hope, to talk to us about the mission of the Bridge Center and how it is the first ever adult crisis receiving facility, not only here in East Baton Rouge Parish, but the whole state of Louisiana. The Bridge Center became operational back in 2021 and has served over 2,300 patients, admitting about 2,100 patients during that time. Keep listening to learn more about the work of the Bridge Center for Hope. Charlotte, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to the Bridge Center. You know, it's a, I call it a roundabout way. So I graduated in psychology from Southern University in 94, and then I went back and pursued my master's. So I have an MBA in management, and then I also have an MBA in healthcare management. But while I was at Intergy, I was doing a lot of off projects where that dealt with health, that dealt with um, physical health, mental health, and it just kind of elevated from there. And so in 2016, I ended up leaving and I took an opportunity to be a director for a behavioral health clinic based out of Shreveport and Mansfield, which is, I'm from Shreveport originally. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. Oh, really? (laughs) But I drove back and forth for two years doing that. And then um, I was presented with the opportunity to be on the board for the Bridge Center for Hope in 2019. And I literally was on the board for one month. August was the only board meeting I attended. And then they were looking for someone to do to be an executive director and I was chosen to be on the committee and I started asking all of these questions and they looked at me and they said you know what? I think you need to apply instead you asked one too many questions I asked oh, I asked way too <laughs> many questions and so I ended up having to get off and then that was my only introduction and I was the last person that they interviewed and not only did they bring the board member and the committee and they also brought in other people that were outside of the board to make it to not make it biased and so I interviewed and I ended up getting the job so I literally had never met all of my board members I hadn't had a conversation with anybody um so it was just kind of like this was my introduction to it, it. well it was meant to be so it was meant to be tell tell us about the bridge center because your your timing is uh, becoming the the new director uh, of the center you know really timed up with I think the center becoming much more known in our community but but help our listeners understand what is the bridge center for hope so the bridge center for hope in, is a crisis receiving center so what does that mean really in yeah. whole because we're the only ones in the state that has that license so if you look up our license is zero 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 one so it's a crisis state Stabilization centered and it's designed to provide stabilization services for individuals who are in the midst of a mental health crisis or a substance use crisis. And so a lot of people wonder, what is a crisis? A crisis for you is not the same thing as a crisis for me. Everyone looks mm-hmm. at it in a different regard. So what the Bridge Center does is it doesn't look at or define what a crisis is because it's, it's, it's depending on that individual. So if you think you're in a crisis, and you have you're needing services, then you're welcome to come to the facility. So that was one of the things that sets us apart from other types of organizations is because it welcomes any and everybody. I'll take us back to the the founding of of the center. What were the the what instigated it being created? So if you go all the way back, um, we had a lot of state run mental health hospitals that closed early on, um, roughly around the 
2012 era mm-hmm. time frame. And that left a vacuum. And one of those was Earl K. Long. Right. Um, for those who remember way back then, they had what was called a mental health emergency room extension there that provided similar to crisis stabilization services there. But when that closed, he left a void. And then uh, several years later, the emergency department of Baton Rouge General Mid-City Campus closed. And so then you have this huge vacuum of where are people who are in a, in a crisis going to go, um, especially for those who live way north yeah, of the Florida. parish. Right, totally. Yeah, because the only thing that they had open was Our Lady Lake. And so that was that became a logistical nightmare for those individuals. So you just had a, a, a large population not being treated at all. Um, they were not being treated or they were trying to treat themselves holistically in their own way. So that led to another set of issues within itself. So also during this time, you had a lot of individuals that were in a, a crisis situation that were going to parish prison. So you have, if you go back and look at headlines, you'll see that, you know, four people died in parish prison and they, they all had mental health issues. So we all know that parish prison and the emergency department is not the best place to take someone who's in a crisis because they need to be seen right then and there. Sure. And so you had a lot of individuals, advocates, you had healthcare workers, you had your law enforcement agencies, all of those individuals came together and they decided that they needed to figure out something or some type of facility that will be able to similar to the emergency mental health emergency room extension, but to be able to treat those individuals so that they can not have to go to parish prison or not go to the emergency. So to be an alternative. So, so these civic leaders get together. I know the Baton Rouge area foundation gets together and we, we launched the facility, but we realized that maybe it's, it's, it needs more support. It needs to, to go to the next level to kind of meet the needs in the community. So walk us through when, when, uh, we had the tax passed and, uh, then it really became kind of front and center that we needed to develop kind of a first rate center. So initially the tax did not pass. Right. And then they went back and they did met with some consultants to understand. They did a lot of town hall meetings to try to understand what the public and the community needed. And they did a heavy market, heavy marketing campaign. And they went back to Metro Council and asked if they could put it back on the ballot. And for surprisingly, they said yes. And so they went back and they passed the tax pass in December of 2018. So what I try to tell individuals is just because the tax passed in 2018 doesn't mean that we have funding. So it takes a year to collect that revenue. So all of 2019 was collecting that funding for it. So in 2019, we did a solicitation of proposals. We sent it out. We had some respondents. We had um, RI International and some other individuals, other agencies or organizations came and they presented to be able to operate the Bruce Center. So going back in that solicitation, they really thought long and hard about what they wanted and what they wanted to incorporate. So they did go out and look at other facilities or other cities that had something similar. They did their due diligence to make sure that this is what we want and this is the direction we want to go in. So when they did that and they wrote that solicitation and you had the respondents come back, we also had um, independent consultants that came in when they did the scoring metrics in, in August. So we wanted to make sure that it wasn't a biased process at all. And those people who came in had nothing to do with Louisiana at all. They had they had no knowledge of who we were, what we were, you know, they knew about a crisis facility and, and things like that, but they knew nothing about any of the players or the organizations or anything. So it was strictly a biased process. And RI ended up scoring really, really high in this metric. So when they were awarded the service agreement contract, then we kind of figured, okay, 
Now we need to understand. And one of the things that they did was they came in and they took our solicitation proposal and our ideas and our thoughts and they enhanced them because they've been doing the work for over 30 years. And so we thought we wanted this. They said, oh, we can do this and this. And we're like, oh, we can? Oh, okay. If you say you can, you can. And then, and so it kind of, it was a partnership with them to expand what we thought we wanted, but they enhanced what they, what we could actually achieve and accomplish. So you spent all of 2020 building a building, getting a facility together because, you know, our first collection of our first allocation of the money was not until January of 2020. A lot of people are like, why is it taking so long? Well, we don't have any money. <laughs> we don't. We were really at the mercy of our donors. Well, and, and, and you're in the middle of a pandemic uh, that, that that's starting, which we could we could go all down there. But, but let's 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 turn. You just issued your first kind of annual report. Yes. Where are we, and 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 where do we need to go? We are. Let's see. How can I say this? It's easy to say where we are, but where would we like to be? Um, I think because of the pandemic, I have to go back to that, is we were not able to get out in the community as much as we wanted to, to educate the public on what the Bridge Center was. They had an idea, they had a theory, they had a thought, but they didn't really know. And so what they do when people don't know, they make inferences, they they, they reference back to what they think or they, they kind of fill in the blanks on their own. Mm. And one of the things that we wanted to do early on was to have all these town hall meetings with each district just to kind of invite the public out to understand what the Bridge Center was, the services that we provided, who could access the care. But we couldn't do that. Everything was limited or you couldn't. The you know different facilities were not allowing more than ten people in at a time, so that limited our interaction because we were really wanting to do person to person in face um, meetings, and we could not. So, because of that, I think a lot of people still hadn't heard of the Bridge Center, or they wasn't sure of the Bridge Center, and they didn't know how to reach the Bridge Center. So, our capacity. That initially before we thought we could do about up to 5,000 individuals, Mm -hmm. but those numbers were derived back in 2017 when we did the initial consulting work. That was pre-pandemic. I think that what we've done has been really great considering the fact that we had very limited communication or or education with the public. And with a lot of that was word of mouth. And what we initially thought was that we were going to have a lot of people come in by law enforcement or first responders. And it actually was more people coming in direct entry. They were walk-ins. We had more walk-ins than we did law enforcement drop-offs, which was amazing because we thought it was going to be the opposite. So where do we need to go? We need to educate more, right? So now that the restrictions have been lifted, you're going to see the Bridge Center a lot. I think we're going to be one of those people that you're like, oh, my God, the Bridge Center again. And it's and it's more to educate the community so that they'll know we're open. We're here. We're this is what you asked for. This is what we're doing. We're serving you the best way that we know how. And for them to understand that anybody can access this care. Um, I like to tell people that mental health doesn't have a zip code. It doesn't have a race. It doesn't have any financial derivative yeah, derivative at all. On, it's, right, it's, right. There, is, there is nothing, you know, with mental health. It could happen to you. It can happen to me. And so I try to break that stigma to make people understand that it, it just it has no face at all. So I think a lot of people have a misconception with the Bridge Center. I think they think always oh, for the indigent population or for people who have no who have 
I guess, a a minimum amount of coverage of insurance, but that's not true. You can have a million dollars in your bank account and still use the services. You can have zero dollars in your bank account and use the services. The only criteria that we have is the age of 18 years and above. Why don't more cities invest in in this kind of resource? I mean, are we we an outlier in that we had a greater preponderance of of, of individuals? But it sounds like this probably is is something that it as you said it's affecting communities everywhere so so why why aren't more communities doing this it comes down to money it it really comes down to money um before the bridge center there there isn't for for example if you look at insurance carriers mm-hmm. there is not a whole lot of money set aside for mental health services if you look at the medicaid fee schedule up until this year there was no medicaid fee or rate for crisis services that just was implemented this year in 2022 and that's something y'all can now tap into that is something that we now can tap into yep. but that again is in phase approach um it's, it's not all of a sudden january 1st it is open it, it came in is it came in phases like march 1st april 1st and then possibly august 1st so again and they're having to catch up with what we're doing so i think a lot of that it, it comes down to money um you have to Surprisingly, you have to have half money to be able to help those who need the most help. Well, and probably, you know, in addition, I mean, obviously civic will. I mean, the, the fact that we as a community were willing to go yes. back to the well again and say maybe we need to refine our plan and ask for, for voters again. And then and then on this education piece, I mean, I think it's it's so important, um, especially leveraging through other networks. What, what 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 kind of help do you need from community partners to get the word out? What would best kind of serve your communication strategy? You know, I think the best way to help us is to have the, the, have education so that when you come across someone and they mention the British Center, the most, if you know exactly what we do, you can educate that person. Because if you're telling someone exactly what the British Center does, then they'll tell somebody and then they'll tell somebody and then they'll tell someone. So I think for us, um, our community partners can help us by educating those that they encounter, um, mentioning us when they have meetings, mm-hmm. um, having one-on-ones with us. We do that a lot with our community partners. We have a, a really great relationship with them because we're dependent upon them. Because of the fact that we're a stabilization center, we do refer those individuals out once they leave to our community partners. And we're putting them in their hands to continue that care because we're hoping that once we hand them off, we won't have to see them again. But if we do, that's okay. Because we know that recovery takes many, many steps and it takes many, many months and and sometimes years. So if our community partners can educate themselves on who we are, what we do and how we do it, the more education they have and awareness, then the more that they can go and talk about what we do and how that we can help them because we're dealing with the same population. Yeah. And and how do you, you, you measure success? Ultimately, that which I know may be a hard question, but but what what would be success for you? You know, I was asked that question the other day, um, and I literally measure it by the feedback I get from the people who've actually gone through the services, because I don't want to measure success based on the number of people, because that lets me know that's that's really depressing, because that's how many people need help. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say, oh, you know, success is, oh, we, we serve 5,000. That's 5,000 people who had a, a problem, who had a crisis. Yeah. And, and, and I and don't want to look let, at that. Let, let's also be clear that that's, that's not everybody that's in crisis. No, but if, well, for example, um, 
we saw we admitted over 2100 individuals so i'm going by the the mission yeah. criteria so i don't want to measure success based on the numbers i want to measure it based on the individuals who came in who received service and their feedback um i've gotten a lot of feedback from people saying that you know, we've saved their lives or we've put them on the right path. If it wasn't for the Bridge Center, they wouldn't know what to do. So that's how I measure success, because that lets me know you're getting the you're getting the treatment and the care that you that we were designing to ha make sure you receive and that you received it and that we're doing what we said we were going to do with our community. And, our, and so that's how I measure it. And are we able to because I recognize you, you really there are in in the you know the most extreme circumstance the crisis moment and then you're you're trying to help individuals then get to other stabilization partners do we are we able to follow those individuals to where they they end up and and kind of have a feedback loop of how are they doing how does that work so we have a built-in care management team that follows the individuals up to 30 days that was something that we thought about early on in the process so because we wanted to make sure that once they left the facility that they received the care that they deserved and needed but that they wouldn't circle back um so we do the care management team for up to 30 days. So, for example, if I am discharged and my appointment is not for two weeks, our care management team is going to keep in contact with you for those two weeks just to make sure you're, you're still on the right track and that right. you're not going to go fall back into crisis. Even so much to the point if that person says, I don't have a ride to my appointment, we say, okay, that's fine. We'll take you. Because what the, the whole thing is I'm going to remove every barrier that you're going to try to put in place to not to that. get the care. Yeah. So there are no barriers for the bridge center. I, I tell people that all the time and they, and it seems like it's too good to be true, but it's not. There's just, we, we thought about it carefully and we wanted to remove everyone. The only barrier that we really have is the age requirement is 18 years and above. And that's because it's considered an adult. So you can't come and say, well, I, I can't come see you because you close at five. No, we're 24 hours, seven days a week. So if you want to come at three o'clock in the morning, then that's fine. Um, you can't say, well, I don't have insurance. That's fine. You can't say, oh, well, I don't, I don't have transportation. Well, okay, that's fine too. We'll, we'll figure it out. And so those are the things that we, we try to make sure the public knows is there are no barriers to access and care, at least for us. Let's talk about children for a second. What, what, cause I come from, um, the world of, of education and schools. And, um, we know that it, especially during the pandemic, sort of the, the spikes in mental health crises for students is all time high. W what services are out there for our children? What do, what do you see missing and how uh, maybe the future plans of the Bridge Center perhaps impact what's going on with our with our uh, young people? So I like to tell people that mental health does not start at 18. You know, it, or your issues with mental health doesn't start with 18. And, and there are children that need those services. The issue is trying to get the laws to catch up. And that's number one. Um, I would love to see a bridge center for the adolescent population. I would absolutely love to see that. That really is on our radar to, to be able to mimic. But again, we have to make sure that those laws are in place for us to be able to do that. Because we had to really change some of the laws just for us to do what we're doing now. So we, if we can get those laws to, um, to be rewritten with that in mind, then I, I don't see a reason why there can't be a bridge center for hope for the adolescent population so that they can receive the care. Um, as of right now, the resources for children are very limited. It's extremely limited. Um, some of the adolescent hospitals that they had are, are closed yeah. during that era. So they're kind of just out there. Um, 
the only resources that they have really are the individual agencies that that deal with adolescents. And then you have some organizations, um, nonprofit organizations that help kids like the Bridge Agency and all of those. But it's, it's extremely limited and rare because of that population and because of the way the laws are written here. Well, I'm, I'm hoping on the horizon that, uh, that you're involved in, in that solution. I, I have a feeling you will be. I hope so. So tell us, before we get you out of here, uh, you've got an event coming up in May called Bridging the Gap. Tell us tell us a little bit about that. So let me be really quick. Um, and let me tell you where it came from. Uh, bef- the Bridge Center had a open house on December of 2020. And a lot of people thought we were open and we were not. And so at the time, the phone line that was associated with the Bridge Center was my phone. And so my phone was ringing off the hook literally at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. And I answered every time because, again, they were calling a crisis facility. So I didn't know what was going to happen on the other end. So I was afraid not to answer. And a lot of those individuals were needing to understand or find resources or or figure out what they needed to do. And so I became a one-stop shop. And I end up having these these long sheets of paper trying to say, okay, well, this is where you can go and this is what you need. And, and I started trying to, tri- I guess, triage all of these calls on the phone on my own before the facility opened. And what I learned was that a lot of our community did not realize that we have resources available. They just didn't know how to access them. And then also I realized a lot of our community partners didn't know who provided what services. So what we did is we decided to have a Bridging the Gap event that will allow the community to come in and access all of these different vendors and also for the vendors to introduce themselves to each other so they can realize, oh, we can partner. We, You provide this, you provide this, I have this clientele that needs this, and, and so forth and so on. So that's what it's designed to do is for us to be able to introduce all of the vendors that we use. Um, it's a first-come, first-served basis, so I, I have to have about 25 vendors that's coming, and for the community to come out and also understand these are the services that are here in your in East Baton Rouge Parish as well. That's a phenomenal opportunity, and and we need more of that. I think you know th- this conversation is just highlighting for me how much we need to connect uh, and understand that we have real resources, the first in the state, uh, in terms of a, a crisis stabilization center. Uh, you are a phenomenal leader, and, and we're just grateful that you came back. Um, for guests listening in, how can they find out more about, about you all and get in touch with you? So the easiest way is to go to our website, which is brbridge.org. The facility itself is located at 3455 Florida Boulevard. Um, It's directly across the street from Baton Rouge General Mid-City Campus. That's awesome. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us uh, in this episode of The Pod. For more information about the Bridge Center for Hope, again, you can visit brbridge, B-R-B-R-I-D-G-E dot org, brbridge dot org to learn more. As always, thank you for listening in. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and our mission is to elevate the stories, people, and ideas making Baton Rouge a better place. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank you. To learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, please visit our website at braf.org and become a member today.